0: Hello and welcome to Fantasy Friendship. I'm your host, Steve Malanch, joined today by my co-host, Jake Anderson, and our guest, Ashley. Ashley, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. And on today's show, we are focusing on Ashley's friendship with Dennis Rader, otherwise known as BTK. For anyone who does not know, I'll give a brief synopsis of who Dennis is. BTK stands for Buy and Torture Kill. Beginning with a family of four, Dennis ultimately had 10 victims between 1974 and 1991. In that span, he sent letters and correspondence to both the local media and the police. After a a hiatus, he resumed sending letters in 2004. One of those messages was on a floppy disk that police tracked back to Dennis at a local church where he was among the leadership group. Dennis was hidden in plain sight, a family man who lived near Wichita, Kansas. I'm sure we'll explore the details as the show goes on. But first, Ashley, let me ask you, when did you first hear about who BTK was and how old were you?
1: So I remember seeing the case being on like national news, like in 2005 when they arrested him, because it was a, it was a great big deal. I mean, he eluded the police for 31 years up until the floppy disk incident. So that was the first time that I remember hearing about Dennis Rader. Now um, I wouldn't come to be friends with him for several years later, but I do remember watching the trial on TV.
0: What was your first reaction when you saw it?
1: It's like, oh, my goodness. I guess I was more in awe how someone could elude the police for 31 years, because, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a really long time. And then to be caught, I think that the police had figured BTK was just never going to be caught. 31 years is a long time. I mean, I'm 32 years old, so that's almost as long as I've been alive. That's a long time.
0: When did you start? I guess what prompted you first to reach out to him and how did you do that?
1: So I wrote him while I was living in New Orleans five years ago. So we've been friends for five years. Um, I've always had a giant interest in true crime. I write other infamous people who are incarcerated and visit them as well around the United States. So I had been wanting to write Dennis for some time. So I got his address from a friend of mine and I actually got a reply nine days later after sending my letter. And we've just been great friends. We're really close. It's just crazy how that friendship kind of builds.
0: At what point did it turn from, I'm just going to contact him to this guy is a good friend of mine?
1: I would say probably a about nine months to a year into the friendship. So we corresponded just through letters for I would say the first six months. Mm -hmm. And then um, he registered my phone number with the facility to be able to call me. And I will never forget my first call with Dennis Rader. I was just like in awe. So after that, we have talked on the phone every week, normally twice a week for the better part of four years to this day.
0: What were some of those, like, what was in some of those letters? What was the first thing you said to him and what did he say back to you and how did that develop?
1: So my first letter basically just introduced myself that I have a dog. What I did for a living at the time, I was a security officer. So he was really intrigued by that um, because he does have a little bit of background in security work. What I like to do as far as like reading and writing and just a little summary of Ashley in a nutshell and mailed it off to him. And it was just enough to pique his interest to write me back.
2: Do you know how many other people he corresponds with? Like, are you kind of his one link to the outside world? Or is he talking to multiple people?
1: Dennis has many, many people that write him. He does not get a chance to write everyone back, nor does he wish to write everyone back. He gets at least 10 letters a day on a normal day. And this is every day he's been in there, I believe, September was 15 years at Dorado Correctional Facility. So he gets hundreds and hundreds of letters a year.
0: So you're talking to him on the phone too. So you're probably in the upper echelon, surely, of people they trust. And how did that come to be? How did he pick you out of all these you know, 10 letters a day that adds up to say, yeah, I really like this person. And I really enjoy talking to this person on a regular basis.
1: In what I like to call this community as far as people who pen pal serial killers or murderers or whoever it may be that will write just to get a letter to put it on the market to sell it. Mm. And believe it or not, these people who are incarcerated, they may not find out right away, but it will come back and they will know that you put their stuff on the internet for sale. So I just, I've never sold anything. I've never posted pictures of personal stuff online because I respect Dennis's privacy as far as that goes and he sends a thing whenever he first writes you like please don't sell my stuff please don't put my stuff online do not ask me about you know my crimes so on and so forth and I've respected all of that and I think after a while of just doing what I said I would actually do he's put his trust in me and he knows that that we're friends
0: when he says don't ask you about his crimes do you think that comes from a place of he is ashamed of those crimes now or from a place of he just doesn't want to hear about anymore?
1: I think it comes from a place of Dennis trying to be in a better mindset. And I think, now this is just me, you know, thinking, but I don't think he wants to be taken back to, you know, the dark side of himself. I don't think he wants to reminisce on that.
2: What was your initial reaction? I hate to say, did he seem normal? But could you, I mean, is it like corresponding with, any anybody else?
1: It definitely is. He's like talking to the neighborhood grandpa or something. He's smart. He's funny. He calls <clears throat> and checks up on me when I'm sick. Sends me cards when my dad passed away. You know, three days before Christmas last year, like he was checking on me. He's been there for me when I've been at some low points in my life, and uh, he's he's pretty normal. Like you know, most people would expect to. You know sea fangs or or just like this monster yeah. he really is just your next door neighbor kind of guy
0: and i think part of that has to be why he was able to elude police for so long is because if he seemed like a guy who was a serial killer he probably would have been caught a lot faster but you know, if you can act normal for 30 years and hide in plain sight then it's surely easier to get away with that kind of stuff for so long
1: and it boils down to being able to compartmentalize. I think he, he was able to do that very well. Could be BTK during the day and then just flip a switch. And, and you know, he's president of his church. He was a compliance officer. He had a wife. He had two kids. So he could just go home, flip the switch, and it was like it never happened.
2: Does he still talk to his family?
1: No. His daughter uh, released a book last year, I believe it was. And in that book, she does mention that she corresponds with her father. However, she does not. She's written him maybe a couple letters in the last few years. She's never spoke to him on the phone. She's never been to visit him. He really doesn't have any of his family in prison. So
0: does he miss his family? Does he strive for them to come back and see him? Is that something he really wants to have happen?
1: Absolutely. I think he held out hope for a long time that that would happen. And he's still hopeful. But I think that he knows that it, the chances of it happening are slim to none. So he's just kind of put that to the side in his brain. You know, he, he gets a little emotional when he talks about his family. He, he really loved his wife and, and his children and even his daughter in her book, she stated that she had the American dream growing up. Like her dad was her best friend. Like she went fishing, camping, hiking with her father. Like her, her daddy was her best friend.
0: Does he understand why that it's hard for her to go see him?
1: Yes and no. He stated like, you know, I know I did some things that were horrible and I'm sorry for what I did. He's like, but I'm still her father. I guess it's kind of a hard pill to swallow because I know if it were me, as the daughter, I would be highly upset with my father, but at the end of the day, that's your dad. Like I I feel for my inner peace that I would have to forgive my father and reach out.
2: Kind of going back to how your friendship with him started, what piqued your interest in writing? I know you said you were a security officer. What made you want to write him?
1: So I have been pen-paling people since I was 17 years old. Like I said, I'm 32, I'll be 33 next year. And he was just always on the list of people that I wanted to write. And I actually wasn't sure whether he was still alive or not. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who said, yeah, he's alive. You know, I write him a couple times a year, so on and so forth. I'll give you his address." So I just always was into true crime. And like I said, I wrote my first letter when I was 17. And I've just been doing it ever since.
0: Is Dennis the person you're probably closest to of all the uh, folks you're pen paling? And who are some of the other ones that you might call friends now?
1: Absolutely. Dennis is definitely my closest pen pal. Uh, Running an extremely close second would be Elmer Wayne Henley Jr. Uh, He's incarcerated in Texas. He's been there almost 50 years. Super nice guy. They got him when he was 17. I think he's like 64 now. Um, I did write Roy Norris who passed away earlier in the year. He was one of the toolbox killers out in California. I also wrote to Philip Jablonski, Bobby Jolong, who was executed in May of last year down in Florida. So that Samuel Little, I write him. He's kind of been in the news over the last few years. I think he's up to like 93 victims or something like that. Huh. Those are a few of the people that I write.
2: What's people's reaction when you tell them that you write BTK or any of those people?
1: it generally goes one of two ways. And most of the time it's, oh my God, how could you write someone with that or with that background and committed all those crimes? And how could you be for that? So people automatically assume since you write someone like that, that you agree with what they did, that you condone that. I in no way, shape or form condone any of the things that anybody did. There's that reaction. And then there's, that's really cool. Like there's no kind of in the middle. It's either they're horrified or they think it's really cool.
0: If they are horrified, how do you usually respond to them?
1: You know, I used to find myself trying to explain why I do what I do to people. But at the end of the day, they really, they just don't care. I tried to tell them like, he's, he's a human. It's hard to see Anybody like that as a human until you get to know them. Otherwise, they're just their crimes. You know, someone thinks of Mm -hmm. BTK, they think of the 10 people that he murdered, not Dennis Rader. Like inside under the BTK, you know, thing, there's a person in there. And I think everybody deserves to have a little compassion. He's in prison, he's serving his dues to society. And I'm not here to judge him for what he did. Do I agree with it? Absolutely not.
2: Kind of along those lines of the reaction, the horrified people, how do you think the victims' families feel about them corresponding in a normal way or just corresponding with people? Have you heard anything about that?
1: I haven't heard anything how they feel as far as them corresponding with people, but I know when like books start to come out or things of that nature, I know they're a little upset, obviously, but they can't profit off of any of these things. There's laws against that. So generally the proceeds go to the victim's families. Um, I'm not sure how they feel about them having pen pals and friends in car- while they're incarcerated. I'm sure they're upset about it.
0: Is Dennis, ri- I, th- I thought I read somewhere that he is writing a book.
1: Sure. Dennis wrote a book. With Catherine Ramsland, and I actually don't have it on my bookshelf right now. Came out a few years ago. It's called "The Untold Story of the BTK Killer." I think is the title of it. It's a red book. It's a fantastic book. It has her interjections in there from, you know, a doctor's standpoint, kind of her view. So it's his story starting as him as a kid, and then it'll interject with. saying a b c d and then it'll cut back to his story so it's a really good book i highly suggest anyone into crime read that book it's very good and the proceeds go to the victim's families
2: okay So since you have a friendship with him what was it like reading that book of the kind of behind the scenes stuff and but also having at the same time knowing stuff about him just his daily life what was what was that kind of duality
1: So I'm kind of very callous when it comes to reading things like that. So it really didn't shake me too much. And I think another reason for that is I pretty much know the case inside and out and all of the details of it going into reading the book. I was more fascinated with hearing it from his side because you always hear it from everybody else's side on the Internet. I mean, you don't see any interviews with Dennis Rader, not very many after he was taken to El Dorado. So I think that was the big part for me. I wasn't really like horrified or anything like that.
0: And you have a child and you have a spouse too?
1: Yes. Are they
0: just okay with you contacting them or was there a little hesitancy on their part?
1: So with my other half, he knew going into the relationship that I wrote people who were incarcerated. I think he actually said hi to Dennis on the phone, probably within the first few months of us being together. He's actually a retired police officer. He was a cop for 32 years. Um, He's attended death row visits with me at San Quentin out in California. Uh, He says hi to them on the phone. He talks to Wayne when he calls. I mean, they converse back and forth sometimes through mail. He always talks to Dennis whenever he calls. So he's kind of just along for the ride, (laughs)
0: That's really interesting, too, that he's a former officer and
1: mm-hmm.
0: I would like to see friends with him now, too.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So does he yes. ever write letters or call on his own without you there? Because I'd be kind of curious what his conversations are as someone who enforces the law versus somebody who, I mean, clearly broke the law and also kind of toyed with an entire police department.
1: Yeah, that he did. <laughs> <laughs> They don't like Dennis doesn't call his line directly and he will send out like, you know, books or magazines that he thinks that so Ron is his name, my spouse that Ron would like, or, you know, I'll pass him the phone when I'm speaking to Dennis and they generally talk about hunting, fishing, things of that nature or the weather or, you know, astrology because they both really like that. I mean, Wayne, my friend, Wayne and Ron, like Wayne will write. Ron but Dennis will send him stuff sometimes but that's about it other than talking on our phone call.
2: Is Ron also kind of one that's that's captivated as a former cop is he captivated by you know BTK, Zodiac Killer, those kind of infamous cases?
1: He's interested in the psychology aspect of it because he was a psychology major when he went to college other than that and he got really tired of you know me putting true crime on tv he'd be like can't we watch something else like i'm tired of hearing about all this stuff so he's not fully on board like i am but he's on board he's just not as into it as i am i think he's just i don't know i think it's just the psychology part for him
0: is like Dennis the same how, oh, sorry
1: no you're fine is he into true crime not i'm gonna say no Now, I don't know Mm -hmm. about before he was incarcerated. I mean, I know I've heard like stories about like magazines, you know, they used to publish these magazines back in the day that were like, I don't know the word to describe it. They, they were kind of hardcore magazines, like showing people tied up, like they were detective magazines. That's what Mm -hmm. they were. And they would tell about all these different crimes and stuff. And I know that he was into those. So he really tries to steer clear now of anything that can kind of get those dark thoughts going.
0: Yeah, I was asked because I see shows like, obviously fake, but shows like Dexter where these serial killers are interested in each other's activities and their mindsets and how each other goes about their their crimes. And I didn't know if that was actually a real life type thing where Dennis is watching all these other, I mean, the 70s and 80s had a lot of serial killers in the United States. Uh If he's watching all these other ones, like, is he taking notes? From these people? I mean, it's horrible to ask, I'm, I, but
1: no, is, no, I am no.
0: curious if they are like taking notes off each other and watching how each other go about their business. And is it a competition?
1: You know, I feel that before he was caught. I mean, it took a while before he got a name in the paper, you know. So there were kind of those, how many people do I have to kill before, you know, I get some pub- publicity or whatnot. And I know that he was really into like HH H. Holmes out of Chicago. Obviously, we're talking turn of last century but uh he was kind of enchanted by that I guess you could say for lack of a better term now he may still be and just not tell me I don't know or maybe he's wholeheartedly just trying to steer clear of all of that stuff now and and I sure hope so
2: getting into kind of the nitty since we're getting nitty-gritty on details of it what about the case I mean, maybe more so the pursuit of him, but what was always the interesting factoid to you? What was the most interesting part?
1: About the case would be that he eluded them for so long for the the 31 years. And that he kind of switched up his M.O. a little bit on a couple of the victims. You know, a couple of them were taken from their home and and placed under a bridge or under an overpass, and they weren't found for a few days. So generally, most serial killers, their M.O. would just be the same all the way around. So they didn't initially think those couple of victims were BTK victims because they were removed from the home. So that kind of intrigued me a little bit too because he kind of just switched it up right in the middle and then went back to his original, you know, bind, torture, and kill style.
0: I know he had a few victims that, potential victims that ended up getting away, at least one.
1: One. Mm-hmm.
0: Has he ever mentioned that person? Is that something he in has, his head he that's oh, not? Yes, it's not. Okay. Uh,
1: I believe her name was. was Anna, he hid in her closet and waited for her to come home. And she ended up coming home late that night. So he sent a letter to her in the mail with a, there was a poem like, Anna, why didn't you appear? It goes on and on. It can be found on, on the Mm -hmm. internet.
0: Do you think he went on a, such a long gap between kills because of his family? Was it an emotional response of, oh, I'm raising a family now, or was it i I'm busy now? And I don't have the time to set aside the BTK portion of myself.
1: I think it was a little bit of both because if you look at the years and like the dates of like when his children were born, so on and so forth, he really had a lot going on with his family life, having, you know, two kids. And it kind of, I think that it kept him occupied and was able to keep those bad things thoughts at bay so when he resurfaced in the late what was it not late 2000s early 2000s excuse me obviously his children were grown and gone and out of the house and he got bored so when he got bored those thoughts kind of started creeping up and he just couldn't he couldn't fight it anymore he called it factor x and I truly believe that he has some sort of mental thing going on where he felt like he couldn't stop those thoughts and that he couldn't control himself
2: was there a trigger for him
1: he would just pick people at random he'd be driving around and he'd see someone and that's going to be my next person whether it was a few months later the following year like he would stalk them as far as something that he looked for not that i can think of not that he's told me
0: do you think a part of him is happy he got caught
1: yes He's told me he's happy that he's off the street.
0: Is he still religious or was he ever actually religious?
1: Yes, actually he is. He does not curse. He doesn't like for other people to curse. He doesn't really get into any vile conversations for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term. He's really just wholehearted and just like a grandpa. That's an
2: interesting thing to me if if he's religious, have you guys talked about kind of the existence of a heaven or hell, like where he thinks that he might be going? Have you guys ever talked about that?
1: We haven't. I don't think he's as religious as he was when he went in. Actually, let me not say that. I think that he's kind of explored the possibilities of other religions because he's read up on them, so on and so forth. That's a very good question, though. I'm going to have to ask him about that, the heaven or hell thing. I never thought to inquire about that.
0: It's definitely a curious subject because obviously he did some of the more gruesome things someone can do, but in Christianity, which is the church he went to in Kansas and was one Mm -hmm. of the leadership group, does preach forgiveness. And I wonder if he like Jake said, does he have the idea of I can ask forgiveness, and I'll still get into heaven. Or is he like, well, I did what I did and I can't take those things back.
1: I do think that he believes that, that he's been forgiven. And I know that he does donate money to, to churches and stuff like that. And he donates out of his own commissary fund. So I think he thinks he'll probably go to heaven. If I had to guess.
2: How does he feel about you giving your thoughts on him and sharing your friendship how does how does he feel about you doing stuff like this
1: so he is a very private person I think for him as long as no one's like reading a personal letter of his or Mm -hmm. showing his artwork without asking or telling like intimate details that we have just about our friendship he's okay with it for the most part as long as as long as he knows that you're not going to throw him under the bus or, you know, try to make a right. name for yourself to make a buck or something. So,
0: right. Does he know you're on the podcast? Yes. Did yes. he say anything about that? Like, is it basically what you just said?
1: That's basically just it. And then he just carries it into the next subject, like, oh, okay, well, let me know how it goes. <laughs> so, this was a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, you and I have been conversing for quite some time through mm-hmm. emails. So yeah.
2: has he ever given you a message to tell people like from him? No Mm-mm.
1: And I think that's more based on you know not wanting to get lashed out from the facility because the facility obviously they record all the calls and, and I think that's I think that's in the rule book somewhere that they're not supposed to do that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Is there anything that, we haven't asked you about, or we haven't talked about that, you know, you feel that we miss.
1: Not that I can think of, not at all. You guys kind of were very thorough with the questions. So.
0: <laughs> well, we I appreciate like you coming on to answer them because it's definitely an interesting and unique friendship that, I mean, not a lot of people have this insight and it's a way too, that you can get some of these responses out without somebody saying, why would you do that?
1: Exactly. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and taking the time to to talk with me.
0: Thank you for coming on the show, Ashley.
1: All right. Thank you for having me. Have a great day.
0: You too. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Fancy Friendship. Subscribe, listen, give us feedback. Appreciate you listening.